Um, we are starting a series called HC Conversations. We're going to spend a couple weeks just chit-chatting, I guess. Um, some of you may know we have a podcast, Pastor Paul and I do a podcast called HC Conversations, where we just talk about, who knows, it's just the intersection of, of where life and faith, and so we talk about all kinds of things, and we thought it'd be great if we spent a little time this summer, summertime, we're a little more laid back, where we'll have a couple of these conversations and invite all of you in on that as well. Um, and so we're going to do that this morning, but before we jump in, I just want to I guess say a few things. First of all, at any point during the service, um, feel free to get up and, and go get some more uh, beverages. There's hot coffee, there's cold brew, and if you haven't tried, if you're, if you're a coffee person and you haven't tried the cold brew yet, maybe you shouldn't because this is like cup number four for me. So if I get a little jittery, you know why, but help yourself to that stuff back there, water, tea, all those, all those things. Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna go, uh, go about this and we would love to hear some questions from you. So if there's anything that you think as as we're talking today, as something crosses your mind, you're like, oh, they said that, I want them to go further on this. Uh, there's gonna be a number up on the screen that you can text, uh, and we should, if everything's working, get those questions. So those of you that are watching at home, that is true for you as well. There should be a number across the bottom of your screen where you can text in questions. Um, and we'll try to get to those at the end. And as far as the, the, the length of the service today, we don't know how long this might go. And if we have questions, um, don't, everybody just got really nervous there. Don't worry, we're not going to run over, okay? We're not going to go crazy over, especially because we know we've got kids downstairs, so we wouldn't do that. Um, but if we end up being a little bit short, because who knows how the conversation will go, I'm going to encourage you to hang out a little bit after the service, get to know your church family again, have some refreshments. Um, don't rush out, because again, the church is it's not just an event, it's not just something we show up to, uh, it's a family that we belong to. So we do want to encourage that. Now jumping into the series, we'd asked for the, about the past month or so, said we were going to be doing this, so if you've got questions about life and faith and how those things intersect, or something you'd like us to talk about, topics, send them our way. Going to be honest, we didn't get that many responses, okay? I'm not going to try to hide that, uh, but that's okay. That's okay, because there are some things that, in conversations recently with some of you, just throughout the years, uh, also just being somewhat observant about what's going on the world around us and conversations that, that people and culture are having, we have some things that we're going to talk about, um, but I just, just want to talk about the, the idea of questions before we jump in, is that if you don't have a question, that's absolutely fine. But in case there's a little bit of apprehension to be like, I, I kind of do have a question, but I just didn't want to ask it, or I didn't know if we can talk about that in church, whatever that might be, uh, we want you to know that you can. And so if you do have a question or something you'd like us to talk about in the coming weeks, you can still get that to us. And if we don't get into it uh, during the series, we can find time to do it in the future. Um, the church should be the safest place to talk about anything. Um, as followers of Jesus, we got to talk about what's going on in the world around us, and so we do that in community. So that's number one. And number two, maybe you're like, well, I really genuinely don't have any questions about faith. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty solid on stuff. That's great, um, but part of the heart behind this series as well is that may be where, where you are, but that is not where many, many people are, uh, especially as you look more to, uh, I guess, our generation. We're both millennials, uh, but then also Gen Z that's coming up behind us and for sure the generation that's going to come behind them. There are a lot of questions about faith uh, and a lot of questions about how that intersects with their life. And if the church doesn't talk about it, the message that we communicate is the church actually has nothing to say about life. Um, and so we want to be able to have those conversations because for some of you, it's your kids, it's your grandkids, it's people that you know um, who have these questions and they're not sure if it's okay to ask. Uh, and kind of cutting my teeth in ministry and student ministry before this, ultimately we've seen this over and over where that goes. If you can't answer those questions, it's okay, as soon as I'm 18, peace out, faith, I'm done. And so we want to be able to talk about these things. Um, 
because all of us, no matter what stage of life or faith we're in, it's important to see that faith has something to say about everyday life. Um, it's not just programs don't grow us in our faith, you know, services don't do that. It's, it's a journey, it's a pathway thing. So that's what we're doing, that's what we're talking about, that's all the setup. Paul, take it away, I'm gonna take a sip of my cold brew. All right, so um, we just wanted to unpack the idea of you just have to believe. Maybe uh, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you've heard this said before. Maybe you've said it to somebody whenever, maybe one of your kids or your grandkids uh, asked you a question and you didn't have a good answer. You just said, well, you just have to believe. Uh, I know for me, uh, as part of my growing up church experience, I heard people within the church say that, uh, especially like a youth leader to another like student whenever they had a question. And it was usually like, uh, the response was just kind of like an angry annoyance, like, why would you even ask that? You just have to believe, come on. Um, and so we wanted to unpack that today. Um, first, I wanted to talk about maybe why I think we say that, why adults will say that. Um, I think a lot of times it comes down to the fact that, that maybe we're a little bit uncomfortable with questions because we ourselves haven't taken the time to really wrestle with faith ourselves, to really go deeper, to know the why behind what we believe. Um, sometimes I think people say this because this is the version of faith that was handed to them because they grew up in a church and they were told this and for them it just seemed like well that was a good enough answer mm -hmm. as well you just have to believe the Bible says it that settles it it's a bumper sticker for you it is a bumper sticker both of these I think I've actually seen as bumper stickers the Bible says it well usually there's like I, there's a, a be I believe it in there too the Bible says it I believe, I it. believe it that settles, that settles it, it. Or just, yeah, you just have to believe. You just have to believe. You just have to have faith. Right. Uh, yeah, I kind of had a similar experience. Um, kind of growing up in church, mostly, although left for a while, came back when I got older. Um, yeah, I heard a lot of that. They're just like, you just have to believe it. You know, like, don't have a question. Um, and the tone in which it was said, if someone had like a genuine question, I mean, sometimes, especially if you're talking about students, it's not really a genuine question. It's just kind of like, hey. Um, were there unicorns in the Bible? Because technically, I think it's the King James translations translate something as a unicorn. It's, yeah, I, I read that once. But anyway, like outside of ridiculous questions, um, like legitimate questions, when it's answered of you just have to believe, it was always like that, like you said, kind of that forceful, like you just have to believe it, which kind of communicated, okay, I can't ask anything here. Like this isn't a place where we can talk about things, where we can have conversations. And so then in the future, Anytime a question came up or a doubt came up, it was like, not even going to go there. Right, because, I mean, the, the whole reason why we're talking about this statement isn't because the statement is okay. Obviously, there's something wrong with this, right. or else we wouldn't, wouldn't be addressing it. Um, this statement really isn't an answer. It's just kind of a, a response that we give to shut down any further dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also, it, we have to understand that it isn't doubt that is toxic to a person's faith, it's unexpressed doubt. Uh, the Fuller Youth Institute out of Fuller Seminary did a research on why kids grow up and they leave the church. And this was the number one reason why kids grow up and walk away is because they had unexpressed doubts. Their, their church, their parents, their youth leaders weren't safe people that they could have doubts I and mean, they could openly express those doubts. Instead, they went elsewhere to find answers to their doubts, to their questions. Uh, they internalized them and, and discovered that, well, if I can't talk about this in church, then I, maybe I don't belong in the church. Yeah, I, that, that's such a big thing because sometimes the, it, it'll be pitted this way that, that um, 
the doubt is the opposite of faith, but that's actually not true. We, as we're gonna kind of look a little bit, we see in the New Testament those two things existing at the same time of like doubt and faith. It's like, yes, I trust you, but nah, I'm still having a hard time here. But we often talk about it or have heard about it in terms of like, well, faith and doubt are complete opposites. Um, and so, you know, you just have to believe, but actually doubt is not the enemy of faith. Doubt can actually be something that grows faith majorly. Like you said, that unexpressed doubt is what will kind of gnaw at your faith. Um, but when you dive in to what like a doubt is, you actually grow. And so, um, like you said, the, the tendency, if someone has a question or someone has a doubt, maybe this is you or someone that you know, we're gonna go get answers. Like we want to go get answers somewhere. And like, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, and I can't ask my, my church, or the people around me, my, my church family, my pastor, whatever, if I can't ask them about a faith question, I'm gonna ask Google. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna ask my group of friends. I'm gonna see what YouTube tells me or what a Reddit thread says. And there, you can stumble across some good information there, but you can stumble across a lot of really, really bad information there as well. Um, when we were talking about this earlier, I, I, I tried to have an example and then I realized it just fell apart because the internet has ruined all of us. I was like, usually when you, wanna, you want information, you tend to go to um, the place where there are professionals. Not that I'm trying to say that we're professionals, but like, if you, if you, normally if you, you wanna ask about faith, maybe you would ask a faith conversation in a faith community, not on the internet. And so I was like, you know, so like whenever, whenever you know, you need medical information, you wouldn't go, no, yes you would, because people go to Google for medical information too. So my example is just, and I'm like, and that's what's wrong with the world, and it's a completely different conversation. I'm like, ah. Oh. experts anymore. Uh, but you could use it as a bad example, because you see people going and like, Google, like self-diagnosing and Google, and it, it, you know, it doesn't always work out so well. Um, and so the same kind of thing, it's like, man, if we want to have good faith conversations and not like just believe, which is a lot of times what church has been, like the church should be the place to go. And it's not doubt that, that destroys that. Like I, I kind of got on a tangent there, but doubt is a part of the faith process. If you never doubt what you believe, if you never question it, then you never actually own it for yourself. Um, I know this isn't everybody's story because I don't, I don't know all of your stories and, and some of you maybe came to faith later in life, but for many people, and statistics kind of bear this out, like if you're gonna be like a Christian, a follower of Jesus, that usually happens when you're a kid. Um, and for many people, I'm handed a version of faith as a child, you know, when I can kind of grasp things in grade school or whatever, here, believe that. And then I just spend the rest of my life going, oh, I believe that. And then even as an adult, I still have kind of that childhood version of faith because I never allowed myself to have the doubting process. Right, and if we're going to have a resilient faith, a faith that lasts, that is strong, that can really stand up to the everyday struggles of life, uh, we have to be able to express those doubts to kind of tear down the, the things that we've been given and then rebuild upon that. Yeah. Um, I think so often we, we're afraid of doing that, of, of expressing our doubts, of going through the deconstruction process uh, that is part of the discipleship journey. That is part of maturing in our faith. It's not the end of the discussion. Uh, if you're deconstructing, that's, it's not the end of the story. It's, it's a part of the long road yeah. uh, of faith. Um, there's a whole tradition. Uh, the Desert Fathers write about uh, deconstructing. They don't use that term, but that, this idea of tearing down our faith to rebuild it. Um, it. We're so afraid of doing that because we think that if I start pulling on that one thread, that my whole faith system my whole security is going to come unraveled. Or if it's a house of cards, I pull out one card, the whole house is going to fall. Yeah. 
but that I, we, we do have that, that thought of like, oh no, oh no, if I, if I go down that, that path, if I go down you know, the rabbit hole, what's going to be left on the other side? Um, first of all, if what we're protecting is a house of cards, it's not something that's worth having. Um, and so I would say, like, if, if you're a person of faith, if you're a follower of Jesus, don't ever be afraid to ask questions and dig deeper because Jesus can handle it. Um, if, if you discover that at your asking of questions actually undermines your, the, like the, the picture of Jesus you have, you had the wrong picture to begin with. Um, that he wasn't a God worth following if he can't stand up to our questions, if he can't stand up to our struggling and our wrestling through things. And so, I mean, you can, you can stay safe and you can say, I'm just gonna believe this, I'm never gonna ask these questions and stay with a very, a very shallow, oftentimes very um, heady, kind of like mental kind of faith, but never like a, I own this and it's shaping my life kind of thing. And I think that's where so many people are. And you know, I spent a season there of life before kind of wrestling through some things and having my own doubts and struggles and working through stuff um, where it's like when you, when, when you just believe it, just believe it, just believe it, I never go to that deeper level. And if I don't go to that deeper level, it's like I understand faith in terms of the mechanics, in terms of the mental. Like, I know these are the things that I believe. I know how to like, live out the mechanics of this by going to church or reading my Bible or doing whatever. But I never move into that space of like intimacy with Jesus um, for lack of, of a better term. And so that, that works out in how I live too. If I never gone to that deeper level, then there's not a work of the spirit that's happening in me to produce something in me. And so I may know a lot of stuff. I may believe mentally some things, but I've not wrestled with it. And so maybe I'm still just a major jerk to people or like I'm not actually living out the Christian faith. I'm not, it's just, it goes all, all kinds of places. And we're at an interesting time, <laughs> I would say, culturally, like with where Christianity is. Christianity is moving faster and faster to the edges of society, and I think that's a really good thing um, because a cultural Christianity where there's like just, Christianity's just in the water, it's in the, it's in the air, it's like it's just kind of everybody does it, that actually creates a culture in which I never have to dig in. I never have to figure out what I believe because it's just, well, everybody kind of believes it. And so as we move forward, there's gonna be more and more of a need to let me ask some questions. Let me dig in and let me like take what is good and what is true and what's not. Let's leave that behind. This the kind of the Bible actually talks about this often and uses this picture of like refinement, um, like uh, the, the refiner's fire. Like when you're refining gold, it gets rid of all the impurities. And that's kind of what asking questions and having doubts is like. It's like okay, there's some of this stuff is great. Um, if I think I got faith as a kid, some of this was was great and good and true, but some of this was eh, maybe not so much. And so what can I I build back in there? Because our faith isn't just based on blind faith. Our faith is actually based on historical evidence uh, and not just random things that you have to, you have to check your brain at the door um, <laughs> and just believe these things. And so we want to dive into some of that evidence today. Um, one of the things that I think is surprising about the New Testament is the fact that the disciples themselves didn't believe the first accounts of the resurrection. When uh, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, when they went back after they saw the empty tomb, they saw the angel and they told the disciples that Jesus had rose from the grave, that the grave was empty. The disciples didn't believe them. They had to go and see for themselves. And I know you might be like thinking, well, you're, aren't you using the Bible to prove the Bible? Um, we had New Testament documents. We had these ancient these accounts of the life of Jesus known as the Gospels. We had letters um, before they were put into what is the Bible. They were these ancient manuscripts that were circulated around. 
uh, and then about 300 years later were put into one collection known as the, the Christian New Testament or the canon. Um, so it's okay to use the historical documents found within the New Testament to give evidence to the things concerning Jesus. Right, and I think that's something that we often glance, we, we gloss over, or it's one of those things that's kind of said, and if you're skeptical of faith, you're on the outside or, or wrestling through some things, sometimes we'll just accept these things as like face value. Like, well, you know, the New Testament documents aren't that reliable. Um, that's not actually not true. In terms of like historical documentation, um, like even secular non-Christian historians will tell you there's, there's nothing quite like the New Testament documents in all of like ancient antiquity in terms of the, the amount of copies we have in manuscripts. And the, uh, again, one of the things that gets thrown around is like, well, don't you know all the errors that are in it? Well, when you dig a little bit deeper, it's usually like punctuation or a misspelling of a word. I mean, they're like 99.9% accurate. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that okay, well, like, the miraculous things in there are true. Because that's usually where um, historians will go. They're like, well, these are great documents. They're historically accurate. But, of course, it's not true. Now, for a Christian, like, that's where we would say, well, we believe they are. Um, so, like, the, the documents themselves are incredibly accurate. But, but also, there is what we would call extra-biblical evidence for the person of Jesus. So stuff outside of the Bible that talks about the person of Jesus. Um, there are several historians in the first and second century that will mention Jesus of Nazareth uh, or the, the followers that came up after him. And also, not just that he lived, but that he was executed by Rome under Pontius Pilate on a cross. And so what we know from history for certain is Jesus of Nazareth was a real person that lived at this time that was a, like, known as a miracle worker and a teacher and that he was crucified by Rome. The only thing then that becomes like the major question is, okay, well, did he actually rise from the dead? Um, and I want to go back to something that you said, Phil, about some of the, the discrepancies um, within the texts themselves. A lot of times our Bibles will note where there is a different manuscript. And right. so a lot of times they'll, they'll put a little footnote that says some manuscripts say, and they'll put that part either in the footnote or in brackets in the text. Um, so that way, you know, it's, it's not like the translators are trying to hide anything from us. Right. Um, there's like entire parts, like I'm looking at the, the Gospel of Mark right now. It's like the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. And so, again, something that's kind of portrayed is like it's a big conspiracy and they're trying to, if you actually open up a really good translation of the Bible, they're not trying to hide anything. They're like, hey, it's all on the table. There's a difference here or this part wasn't there. So, yeah. But anyway, back to it. It's like it's, it's evidence-based faith. So we know that Jesus was a real person. We know that he was killed by Rome. The question is, did he, did he raise from the dead? Uh, and as, as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, we would say, well, yes, and we think there's really good evidence for that um, based upon the documents themselves and how early they were produced. Um, the Apostle Paul most likely wrote the first New Testament document, or the earliest that we have was one of his letters, somewhere around like 48 to 50 AD. So like 15 to 20 years after Jesus the Apostle Paul is writing, um, and then the other uh, gospel writers start writing as well. These are written during the time when the eyewitnesses are still around. And so if, if something had been fabricated, there have been lots of people that would have been like, wait a second, that, that's not true, that didn't happen, I was there, I saw it. Um, and so we do have the, the textual evidence, these eyewitness accounts that are incredibly reliable, but also just the testimony of the church. Um, the fact that the church has survived this long, that it, the, forget this long, the fact that the church made it out of the first century is a miracle. You had the, the Jewish temple up until 70 AD when it was destroyed by Rome. You had the Roman Empire, and both of them wanted nothing, like they wanted this, this Jesus thing to go away. Um, 
but yet it kept spreading like crazy. People kept embracing the message of Jesus and their message was really, really simple. It wasn't believe a bunch of things. It was people going around saying, hey, God raised this guy from the dead and we saw him and that message went crazy and it changed the world. Like the reason pretty much the Roman Empire fell or, and changed so much was because of this Jesus movement. It changed the, just the ethic of the empire. Um, and historians actually kind of scratch their head at this. If they're not like believers in Jesus, they're like, yeah, we don't really know why the church um, survived because it shouldn't have. And so again, we think there's overwhelming evidence to why you would be, like why would you take the resurrection seriously? And that's kind of a roundabout way. You're like, okay, what does this have to do with the, the saying of you, have to, you just have to believe it, you just have to believe it? Um, to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, to have faith in Jesus requires really just faith in one thing and everything else we talk about after that. But it's, did Jesus raise from the dead? Like that, that's it. And, and so like I know in my personal life and journey, it's like there are times when I still have questions about the Bible or faith. There are questions when I still have like some doubts. When I'll read something, I'll be like, Really? Like that? That? Okay. Either it's confusing or doesn't seem to make sense or sometimes I'm like, it offends my modern sensibilities. But I come back to, okay, I know Jesus lived and he died and he rose from the dead. And if that happened, then the, the rest of it's kind of details and we'll work our way through that. And so when we say you just have to believe, to hold on to faith, there's only one thing that you have to believe in. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And then after that, we can have lots of conversations and we can work through what does the text say. And you spend, you spend a lifetime doing that. Um, but you just have to believe, sure, you, if you're gonna be a Christian, you gotta believe this, but this is it, and we can talk about the rest. Right, so when it comes to our, our doubts uh, that we have about faith, we're not the first people to ever wrestle with any of this stuff. Uh, if you read the Psalms, David had doubts about God, about his goodness, uh, where, where God was and why bad things were happening to him. Uh, if you read the book of Job, Job had lots of doubts about God. Uh, ancient Israel had a oral tradition that was later written down that accounted for God's action for them in history. For us, we have Jesus. Um, Later on, the apostles, I already mentioned some of their doubts. The most famous one that you probably, many of you have heard of, would be Doubting Thomas. You know, that, that apostle that kind of, I, I guess he, he is kind of looked down upon. I feel uh, bad for the guy. Because, <laughs> you know, everybody's like, oh, Doubting Thomas, don't be a Doubting Thomas. Like, we know lots about the other apostles, but if you, someone says, hey, tell me about Thomas, what's everybody think of? Oh, he was a doubter. <laughs> Like, for all of history, like, I feel bad for him. Because they all doubted, but Thomas just kind of gets, you know, called out for it. Right, like, I feel like <laughs> doubting Thomas should be held on a higher status mm -hmm. in our Western age because of the doubts that he is willing to express. Um, we read about this in John's Gospel. Uh, in John chapter 20, beginning of verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which, by the way, is just a great name, right? Didymus. If you're going to have a kid, name him Didymus. It's like where we get the word dynamite. Oh, yeah. It's explosive. Didymus. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Who says you never learn anything in church? <laughs> That's all you're going to remember. Right? Way to go. Didymus, Way to go. <laughs> um, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came, so Jesus like walked through walls, <laughs> and his resurrection body somehow could pass through like a physical barrier, uh, and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, 
Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so Thomas wasn't willing to take the testimony of the woman uh, that saw the empty tomb. He wasn't willing to take the testimony of the other apostles seriously. He wanted to see for himself. Show me the data, he was saying. Mm -hmm. And Jesus honored that. Jesus said, here I am. If you don't believe, touch and see that I'm real. Which is kind of (laughs) funny um, to, like, picture mentally. Like, you know, Jesus standing there and Thomas, like... Like just poking him. Like the slow motion, like... Can I, can I really do this? <laughs> and I just pictured Jesus like, gosh, yes, poke me. Okay, just do it. <laughs> Get it over with. Um, but I, I love what, what Jesus, how Jesus addresses Thomas. And he's like, okay, you, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who have not seen and will believe. He, so he's, he's talking about us. He's talking about every generation, a follower of Jesus from that point forward. Basically, he's telling Thomas and the other apostles that are there, like, everyone, like, Blessed is everyone who is going to believe in me, that all the people that aren't in this room with us right now, as he would tell the people that were there, um, and they're going to believe, because they're going to see me as well, but they're not seeing me here with you guys right now. Right. Uh, like that we see Jesus, you know, today, we see him through the text, we see him through the, the, the evidence for the resurrection, and for some of you, maybe like, you're not like super analytical. I mean, for, for some people, the idea of like, oh, there's this evidence for the resurrection. I think I believe that. For some people, that's like, that's what makes them believe. Kind of depends on how you're wired. That tends to be how I'm wired. Um, but others, you're not wired that way. You're more experiential. You're more like, I, I need to, to experience something. I need to know something. Uh, and that's an important part of it as well. Uh, that, that the resurrection, yes, it's a, it's a historical event. It's something that happened. But the resurrection is also the display of the power of God. Like it was it's the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And so for some people, it's experiencing that power of God in your life as well. It's a historical event, and it's God's power that is still changing the world today. Um, yeah. And, and, and so, you know, Thomas, he had that experience. He touched Jesus. He experienced God. And notice that Jesus didn't, you know, start yelling at Thomas or, you know, um, you know, asking him, well, why didn't you believe the disciples? Why didn't you believe? Why do you have to see me? Why can't you just take their word? You know, Jesus honored that. He respected his doubts. Yeah, that, that idea of the resurrection, the power that is found there, the, the anchor point of his, like, historical time, that is, what, that is what the faith is built on. Uh, and the Apostle Paul, whenever he would go around to all these, um, these cities, these villages, these places around the Roman Empire, that was always the gospel that he preached. He talked about a lot of things about how does faith, you know, work out in your lives as he would kind of train people, like this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, but he always anchored the gospel to it's Jesus, you know, crucified, buried, risen, and seen. And we see this play out in um, 1 Corinthians 15. This is, there's a the little line that Paul has in here that's believed to be like the earliest Christian creed. A creed is just something that is repeated to help you remember some core truths. And so before there were written texts and documents that you could look to, you had to have a way of remembering what's most important. Um, and this little part in here most people date it to within just years, possibly even months of the resurrection of Jesus, that the early church was like saying these things to remind them of what their faith was built on. So this is 1 Corinthians 15. Um, Paul says, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you've taken your stand. So he's going to say, this is what you, you take your stand on. This and everything else we can talk about, but here's what you take your stand on. He says, by this gospel you're saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, or otherwise you've believed in vain. 
And here's the little statement. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Like that little died, buried, raised is what's thought to be like the earliest creed. Um, and then he appeared to Cephas and to the 12, the disciples that is. And then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of who are still living. That's Paul saying, okay, go fact check me. You can go talk to the people that were there. Most of who are still living, though some have fallen asleep, some have, some have died. Then he appeared to James and all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. And then he kind of goes into his own story a little bit. But he, he wraps up this thought by saying, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So Paul says, here's the gospel. Here's what you take your stand on. It's Christ crucified, buried, raised, and seen. If Jesus hasn't been risen from the dead, go home, your faith is useless. And so when we ask these questions about like having doubts, what, like what is, what, how many things do I have to believe? Like what if I have questions about Noah's Ark? Like how did that happen? And, and what about Genesis? And what about these weird stories in the Old Testament? Paul would say, wait a minute. Do you believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead? You say, yeah. Okay, that's where you take your stand. The rest of that, great conversations and it's a lot of fun to talk about and we can spend the rest of our lives figuring it out. But here is what is most important. Yeah, and I, like you said, I like the fact that he basically you know, tells his audience to fact check him. He's inviting them to, to, to go to these other eyewitnesses and see if his testimony is true. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it was very costly to write manuscripts back in that day. Yeah. So we don't have like a physical record of, of their accounts, um, which I think would be really cool. Maybe, maybe they did and we'll find those some days, but who yeah. knows? It would, super cool. All right. so. Uh, to kind of start bringing this to a close, um, our, our faith is not based on just a blind set of beliefs, but rather on a historical event, the life, burial, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so when it comes to this statement, just believe, you just have to believe it, maybe a better statement or better several statements would be, you know, it's a great question. I don't know, but let me journey with you to find the answer. Okay, so that's one. Another response would be, well, that's a great question. I don't know. Let me find somebody that does know. And then finally, maybe you would say, that's a great question. I don't know. But what I do know is, and then insert your personal testimony of how God has interacted with your life, has transformed you, and made you into a different person. That's kind of the example that we see Jesus set in the Gospels is that he invites people to follow him. And all throughout, when we look at the life of Jesus, his ministry, and the disciples that are with him, they are constantly doubting. They're constantly like, oh, we don't believe. And, and Jesus never tells them, well, you just have to. He just says, come follow me. Just keep, keep journeying with me. We'll go to the next village. You'll see me do miracles there. You'll see me teach there. You'll see how I interact with people. Ultimately, you'll, you'll see me risen from the grave. Um, but he's like, just, just, you don't believe right now? That's okay. Just keep following. Uh, and so we're invited in the same kind of way. It's like, you got questions, you've got doubts. That's all right. Just keep following. Um, and, and sometimes that, that involves on our part too, just crying out and be like, Jesus, like, I, I need some faith. I just need to believe. I'm reminded there's a, there's a time when a guy has a son who's possessed by a demon and, and he comes to Jesus. He's like, if you can heal him, please do that. And Jesus is like, what do you mean if? Like, don't doubt, just, you know, believe. And the guy says, I do believe help my unbelief. Like, I believe, but yet I have questions and doubts. 
And so I, I think that's where so many of us live, you know? But it's like, okay, I do believe Jesus, I believe in you, but I, I'm still working through a lot of stuff. Can you help me with that? Yeah, it's safe to express things to God. Uh, so we did have a couple questions come in. Um, one is, I feel my relationship with God is distant over the past year, and I don't know how to get that back. I know he exists, I know he is real, and I know he loves me, but I just don't feel his presence anymore. How do I get that back? Wow. Um, so if, if you're feeling that, you're not alone. Uh, this last year has been a difficult year for anybody's spiritual journey. I mean, our past, we're your pastors, and we can tell you that at times of the last year, uh, feeling just very distant from God, feeling like God wasn't answering, uh, feeling kind of like in a dry season. Um, in fact, last year was one of the hardest years uh, to be a pastor. Um, and for me, one of the ways that I got that back uh, was just to keep showing up. To just keep showing up every day, to keep praying, to keep doing those things, reading your Bible, and asking God to meet you there. Because God will honor that and will eventually meet you there. Another thing that you could do is just pray uh, for God's Holy Spirit to come on you. Just pray, come Holy Spirit, and then wait and see what happens. And see if God's Spirit comes on you. Um, whenever we pray that and we expect it, a lot of times God honors those prayers. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I can definitely relate. This, just personally, this last year has been rough. Um, it's my own spiritual journey. It's just you have a rhythm for things and this year just threw the rhythm completely off. Whether that was our gathering rhythm, just my daily prayer and Bible and all that kind of stuff and it's really hard to find that again. Um, I really like what you said, Paul. Just, it's just consistency. Even when it feels like it's not working because sometimes it's like I'm praying or I'm reading my Bible. I'm like, this is, I don't feel anything. Nothing's happening. Um, and I'm reminded though like that, that that's just like doubt it hasn't been a, um, a new thing. That feeling of God, where are you, isn't either. Um, so many of, and we don't do a good job about talking about this kind of stuff in the church. Like so many of the Psalms are not happy. Oh, praise you, God, you're so awesome. But it's like King David going, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? Like my enemies are all around me. Um, but usually when you get to the end though, as he works through that Psalm, it's like, and yet, yet I know your steadfast love. I don't feel it but I know it. Um, I don't have an answer other than just consistency. And to say also that if you're feeling distant from God right now, there's, you're not alone in that. That there's a lot of us that have over the last year and still may be there and to find community in that because so often one of the ways that God's presence is revealed to us and works in us as individuals is through the people that are around us. Yeah, so if, if that's you today, if you're watching online, um, just reach out to us because we'd love to pray for you. Um, if after the service, if you need prayer, grab myself, grab Pastor Phil, grab Pastor Kerry. Uh, we would love to pray for you. Uh, next question. Uh, two rules, love Jesus and love one another. Why do so many Christians judge others for their beliefs or lifestyles? I want to say something not nice. <laughs> I'm like, well, because they're stupid. But that wouldn't be nice of me to say. Uh, that's, a, that's a hard question. Because on, on one hand, it's like, yes, there are, 
love God, love your neighbor. Why do so many Christians judge others for their beliefs or lifestyles? Um, the Apostle Paul actually does address this. So if, if we're talking about someone who is outside, uh, is not a follower of Jesus, outside of the church, it actually really isn't any of our business to cast judgment or be like, you need to do this, you need to live like that. The Apostle Paul in his letter, um, it's in 2 Corinthians, he's calling out the Corinthian church because within the church, they're letting all kinds of crazy stuff go on that uh, a guy is sleeping with his stepmom and the church is like, good for you. And Paul's like, what are you doing? Like, no, you cannot allow that to happen. Um, But he says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Um, it's like a rhetorical, it's, it's none of my business. And then he says, but are you not to judge those within the church? And not judgment, and as we think of this like harsh, angry judgment, but like judgment in the sense of uh, kind of like God's judgment that's meant to bring you to reconciliation. And so I don't know if just a lot of Christians have never read that verse or taken that seriously, that our responsibility is not to be the world's like moral police, um, the church is not called to enforce our beliefs or behaviors on the world. We are called to be a, a countercultural world and kingdom of ourselves. Um, and so with an invitation says, anybody can join this community. Like anybody is welcomed in, but like passage into the community, if you will, is the, the, the declaration that Jesus is Lord. And so once I've made that statement, I'm part of this community, I'm committed to Jesus well, then we actually have the responsibility to like say, hey, here's what Jesus calls us to. Let's live this out. Let's do this together. And that is the loving thing to do within this covenant community, this family, this church. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, just, it's none of our business. So I, I'm kind of, to answer that question, the answer to why, I, I don't know why a lot of Christians do that. Um, I don't have a good response either. Why? I think maybe part of it is they haven't been filled with God's spirit. Um, and been transformed uh, because we can't love the way that God loves. We can't love others how we're supposed to love them without the power of God's spirit uh, because otherwise it's just empty, meaningless. It's self-serving. It's not that self-giving love uh, that God and, and Christ demonstrated to us. Uh, so I think that might be part of the problem is just we haven't been transformed enough by God and by his spirit. Yeah, and just something popped in my head as I was saying that. I think, I think it's easy to we talked in the last series about like loving our neighbors and loving our enemies and I think I'd said maybe I didn't I don't know the hardest people I have a hard time loving is like people that that question is kind of directed at of like I have the hardest time loving other Christians that are just jerks to people I'm like if you're non-Christian I would love you all the day long but if you claim to follow Jesus let's have words um and so it's easy for me to jump to like they're just terrible or not following Jesus but I, I think I think sometimes there is that. There's just people that are just mean and not really following Jesus. But I think sometimes there's what could be good intentions done the wrong way. Um, a lot of like misguided. I think there are some people that, especially maybe of like more prior generations of the church, that's like, I genuinely want people to know Jesus. I genuinely think he has a better way for their life. But the way in which we approach that is not good. Like you're not going to, no one's ever going to be argued into the kingdom of God. No one's ever going to be Bible-thumped into the kingdom of God. Again, the Apostle Paul says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And so I think, I think one, you have some people that, like you said, haven't been filled with the Spirit. You have people that are just mean, and then you also have a group of people that maybe are just a little misguided. Yeah. And, yeah. 
And I have a tendency to fall on that too. Like I think we all do to be like, you're doing it wrong. When we were actually the ones doing it wrong. Yeah. All right, final question. Uh, so Jesus would agree with separation of church and state. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I think um, so. I think so. End of, end of story. Jesus Amen, let's pray. Because here's the thing that we know about Jesus and his kingdom. It's set up as a countercultural uh, kingdom, empire, than the kingdoms of this world. Because what do we know about the kingdoms of this world, including our American system of government? That they have all given in to evil's allure for power. Uh, that they are all that, that picture of Babylon that we see in scripture that oppresses uh, people, that uses might to make right, mm -hmm. um, that yeah, enslaves others in order to get ahead. Yeah. Uh, and Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It's not supposed to imitate the world's kingdom in any way. It's supposed to look completely opposite right? again. Where it's, it's the weak things that are actually the strong things in mm -hmm. Jesus' kingdom. Yeah, and just kind of evidentially of that any time throughout the history of the church when the church has gotten in bed with the state it's always bad like usually it ends with lots of people dying um and then people ask the question of like well i don't want to follow jesus because look what that has done and it's like yeah i think jesus would say no it's not i mean whenever he's being questioned by pontius Pilate, says my kingdom is not of this world get a completely completely different kingdom completely different way of existing within the world um and our responsibility our, our calling as as followers of jesus is not to try to make the kingdoms of the world more christian it's to live as kingdoms of another world yeah, well said thanks <laughs> all right I, I said we were not going to run over and we have we got a lot of questions uh, yeah sorry sorry you guys you can I lied. How about we pray, <laughs> and then we can, like, we can let you out of here. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much um, just for who you are, just for your, your love, your grace, your goodness in our lives, the things, uh, your grace and love that we experience every single day, and so often we're just, we're too busy or too blind to even recognize your goodness all around us. I pray that you would give us eyes to see that. Um, I, I thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us. That in the person of Jesus, we see the, the perfect final revelation of who you are. If we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. We thank you that we can know you, um, that we don't have to wonder, we don't have to guess. But yet at the, at the same time, you, you're a God of mystery. That while we know your heart, we know what you're like when we look at Jesus, there is an infinite amount about you that we will never know. We've only begun to scratch the surface and what a beautiful thing that is. And so God, I pray as we question, as we doubt, that you would remind us of the truth of who you are. God, keep us anchored to your love for us, put on display through the person of Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection. God, I pray that you would make us a people that are eternally curious, that we would seek to know you more and more that you would reveal to your, yourself to us more and more each day through the power of your spirit, that you would transform us to be your kingdom people. We pray these things in Jesus' name.